How you doing? This is Joe Crawford, retired NBA referee. Thank you for listening to the Crown Refs Podcast. Serve the game. You are listening to the Crown Refs Podcast, the audio experience for basketball official officials. Serve the game. Crown Refs is excited to present you with a 20% discount on all your uniform needs for this upcoming 2019-2020 season. The offer has been provided by RefereeStore.com. Enter coupon code BASKETBALL at checkout. They sell Schmitty gear, they offer free exchanges and free returns, and $5 flat rate shipping. At RefereeStore.com, we know that being a referee is not just a job, it's a lifestyle. That's why we make it easy for you to find the right referee shirts, pants, and accessories for your game. Log on to RefereeStore.com and enter basketball at checkout to get your 20% discount today. Crown Refs and the RefereeStore.com, serving the game. Joey, before we start, I wanted to share what your good friend and mentee Scott Foster had to say about you coming on Crown Refs. You want to hear it? I think I, I he he said he said something very nice about me. I told him I said, "Yeah, it's all lies." Are you kidding? Yeah, go go ahead. He said uh, he sent me your number and said you'd do it. Then he said, "Tell Joey it's like trying to sing karaoke after Beyonce has left the stage, but tell him to give it your best shot." <laughs> <laughs> That's a good line. That was pretty clever. That was very good. Yeah. <laughs> you obviously have a good relationship with Scott, right? I do. He's a good man and a tremendous referee. Joey, there's a lot to discuss about your legendary officiating career, but before we dive into your experiences in the NBA, take us through your beginnings at the grassroots level, up through high school, and then up until the CBA. Yeah, I was uh, I was one of those guys. I, I I always wanted to be an NBA ref. You know, my background was is that my dad was a baseball umpire in the in the National League, um, so I was weaned on officiating. And then when I I guess I'm thirteen, fourteen, and it dawned on me, you know, I'd really like to either pursue baseball or or I was from a basketball neighborhood. Um, everybody played baskets. We were just, you know, there were some good players. I was just a mediocre player, but I, you know, when I, when my dad would take me to pro basketball games, I would watch refs because he would point them out and we were box, a boxing family too. And we would go to fights and he'd point the refs out. Mm-hmm. So I always gravitated towards the refs. So when I got out of high school, I tried college to, to uh, go to college. I wasn't a good student. I, and I came, I came home after the first semester. I was in the College of Santa Fe in New Mexico and uh, came home. And I started reffing right away. And uh, that was it. The bug got me. And all I ever wanted to do was ref in the NBA. And I would ref, if I could, get, if I could work 10 games a day, I would work 10 games a day. And uh, love it. Love that. And I, it, it just, it just consumed me. And uh, I would watch the pro refs on TV, 
and uh, I would emulate them. And uh, it's my first shot was a camp up in New York. And you got to remember, I'm a 21, 22-year-old kid. Back then, there wasn't the 21 and 22-year-old kids pursuing this. You know, we're talking, what, 69, I was 18, but 72, maybe, 1972. And there was a camp up in New York, and I went. I was a young guy, and I was, you know, I I had all the movements down, so I looked better than everybody else. And uh, now today, everybody's 18, 19, 20 that's pursuing it, and everybody's young, and they're in shape, and Back then, it wasn't that way. People didn't take up officiating until they got older. And uh, so I was, I got on the radar pretty quick. And uh, uh, I, I was lucky. I got him at 22. The Baker League in Philly was a tremendous summer league. And our pro players played back then all the time. They played every night. It was a tremendous league. They were all down there. And... Uh, they gave me an opportunity to, to ref down there. And it was hard because I was a kid and I was, I, I had, you know, I had a the temper problem back then and I didn't want to take crap from anybody. And I always had to prove myself, you know, and I, and, it, and I went down there and I did. I was, I, they, they really made me a good referee in, in the Baker Lake because they, they demanded that you, you know, had guts, and and I went down there, and they were they were terrific people. Sonny Hill, and uh, was, uh, Mo Howard, and uh, Claude Gross, uh, uh, T. Parham. These people were awesome. And I got an opportunity. I guess I was twenty-two again. I get, might have been that winter, and it was the Eastern Pro League back then. It wasn't the CBA, and they played on the weekends. They played on Saturdays and Sundays. Uh, Allentown, Scranton, Wilkes-Barre, Hartford, Connecticut. And I was working at the post office at the time. And the games were uh, Saturdays and Sundays. And you get in the car. And I had an old Corolla Toyota. And uh, it was $40, no expenses. But it was pro basketball. And I would get in the car and I was, I was, I made it. They had a tryout, and I made it, and it it was awesome. I just looked forward so much to those games, and a guy by the name of Johnny Thompson took me under his wing, and uh, and again I go up there, and I I was always trying to prove myself that I was a you know that I had guts and I was a tough guy, and and. Uh, I was never afraid. That wasn't maybe stupid, but I was never afraid. And uh, but those two leagues were my. It was uh, you found out whether you could ref or not. They were really good players. I was really lucky because you only get better when you referee good players. And I was lucky. People liked me. You know, when I first started, they, they they would, I would piss people off because I was aggressive. In Baker League and Eastern League, that was my start. And then, you know, then I got 
I got to the NBA. I was 25 years old, 1977. And it was, that was the start. So take me through that. You're 25 when you get the call. The year's 1977. You just spent three years in the preparatory league to the NBA at the time. Take me through your first couple of years in the league. What kind of growing pains did you go through that would wind up being beneficial for you down the road? Great question. Uh, I, I, my growing pains, it was a two-man system back then. And uh, I think there was 20 teams in the league when I was there when I first started. And uh, it was it was hard because, again, I was stupid. And I was always trying to prove myself to the older guys, to Joe Gushu and Jake O'Donnell and Daryl Garrettson and Lee Jones and Jack Madden, all those guys. They were my heroes because I watched them be, when I was you know, when I was a kid, I wanted them, I, you know, I, I just wanted them to, uh, to think that I could ref, you know, and uh, I was really aggressive and uh, there was growing pains every night because back then you got to remember there really wasn't a system. There wasn't a manual or anything like that. You had a case book and a rule book, but you didn't have a manual. So you you know, if you worked one night with Richie Powers and Richie liked you to work at the lead a certain way, that's what you had to do. Or he was he was having a fit, hmm. you know. And then if you worked the next night with Jake O'Donnell, you didn't, or Earl Strom, and you worked and you didn't do what they wanted. They they was they they it was crazy. They would, you know, you'd get in the locker room and they'd come after you. You know, they they were they were aggressive people, and I wanted to. And that didn't bother me because I wanted to please them. And uh, um, it was it was hard. It was hard in the beginning. And the coaches didn't buy you because you were a young ref. That's the way that's the way basketball refereeing is on every level. They don't know who you are. And and and, and I was one of those stupid guys that, you know, I was I was not going to back down. And uh I wasn't afraid of the challenge, and, and the league was hard. I mean, Dick Mata, U, UB Brown, uh, Cotton Fitzsimmons, Kevin Lockery, Bill Fitch, uh, Al Adels. They used to test you a lot. Yeah, I mean, they they they, they came after you, you know. And I and I wasn't. I didn't even know what half the time what I was calling, what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm serious. I'd walk <laughs> in the locker room and I'd I'd say to Joe Gushu, who was my hero. I'd say, Joe, what are they mad at? And he'd just go off on me, you know, and he'd tell you, tell me, you know, I made this call wrong, that call wrong. You're, you're a moron. Uh -huh. <laughs> it was, it was. Uh, did it you guys, was, did you guys watch film back then? Nah, now nah, yeah. film didn't come into existence until uh, Daryl Garrettson, I guess, became the boss. I want to say seven, eighty, maybe 81, 82. We started watching film probably the mid 80s and uh, where we really dove into film. That was awesome. That must have been such a game changer. Oh, my God. Yeah, because, you know, back then when I was a young guy, I mean, I, I was well, I've always been consumed by officiating. But when you got the film and you're looking at it, and you're going, oh, my God, you were in heaven. And Daryl was the boss and Daryl would, you know would call you and you like I just did tape over the phone with one of our refs uh just uh about an hour ago 
And that's what we used to do back in the day. We put, we, we'd have it on the TV and we'd have the phone and we'd go, you know, now you can fast forward, you got the speaker. But back then you were going over the film. Daryl Garrison may have been in Chicago and you were in Philly and you're going over the tape on the TV. And it was just, it was awesome. Because you would just say, all right, he'd say, this is where I want you. You know, because now when he came in as a boss, he created a system. And then if you did the system, you worked the system, you now, you didn't have, you weren't at the mercy of Earl Strom, Jake O'Donnell. You know what I mean? Now you worked the system. And the system, you know, made you a better ref. And uh, it was, it, the system gave you some, uh, you went like this. Oh, wow. Great. So now I know if I work like this at the trail or I work like this at the lead and I'm going to see, I'm going to, I'm going to be able to see the defender. And it was, it was just, a game, that was a game changer. That was, the, that was major, major. Must have really accelerated your development at the time. It did. It did. It really did. And then younger refs were real happy. The older guys, you know, I get, they were not happy because now they had to adhere to the system. And some didn't. But us, the younger guys, we did. And, and it did. And, and, and Daryl was a good boss. And he understood the roadblocks back then. And I was lucky again that those Daryl and those people really thought I could ref. And they they gave me the opportunity, you know, at a young age to get into the playoffs and to and to move. So I was I was really a, a fortunate guy. So you said you came in with a bit of a chip on your shoulder, like you wouldn't back down, I always did. wanting um that 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 sense of wanting to prove to your partners to to peers to people that are ahead of you that that you're good which is a, a natural feeling i mean i've definitely felt that did you did you come to a point where you outgrew that where you just felt validated that's a great uh, tremendous question i i don't think i ever did because i think i always wanted to prove to everybody that i was this you know this great referee and uh um I don't think I ever lost that edge. I um, I look back on it and I don't know whether it's good or bad, to be honest with you. I uh, Some of it I regret. Uh, um, some of my aggressiveness is aggressiveness I regret. And, um, but it was who I was at that time. Just want to take a quick 30-second time out to tell the audience about the Crown Refs Team Store, which is now available online, produced by Point Three Basketball. We currently have the short-sleeve hoodie, the Crown Refs backpack, a fadeaway long-sleeve, a graphic t-shirt, a hustle short-sleeve shirt, and dry-woven training shorts. We offer them in black, white, and gray. If you've gotten any value at all from the Crown Refs content or the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you supported the brand. You can go to crownrefs.com backslash shop. Now, back to the podcast. My career kept evolving. Um, I, would, I would learn that I didn't have to have that chip, but I still, I was on edge all the time when I refed. Uh, for whatever reason, I don't know. I don't know whether I still had to prove that I was that 
finals ref or what what it was but um um something like i said some things i regret so if you were on edge a lot how did you maintain a, a sense of calm and poise great, great another great question you thank you Bill. um i had to constantly talk to myself now after my i, I did i i was always my fellow referees, who I really respected, um, used to tell me about my temper, and uh, and I would always try to keep it. Daryl Garretson talked to me all the time about it, um, and I was always trying to keep that under um, suppressed, and and I was constantly talking to myself, and until I really went and got professional help, which was probably uh, 2007, maybe 2006 and around there. Um, I really wasn't that comfortable. It's like the, my last 10 years in the league, I felt really good about myself and uh, that I got that out of my, it was still, a, it was still a problem. I still had to talk to myself, but I, I enjoyed myself a little more. I don't think I totally, I, I wish I, when I look back on it, that I did enjoy myself a little more when I was out on the court, but I was always trying to get plays right. And I wanted my partners to do good. And I wanted, I, I wanted to, um, uh, the game, I, I want Monty McCutcheon, who is our new, who's our boss, uses a, a great, I wish I knew this back when I was reffing, serve the game. And I did serve the game, but I, I, I should have, I wish I took that approach earlier in my career. Um, I, I, I was always, I was on edge. I wanted to serve the game, but I didn't know really know how to go about serving the game. You know, And until I got in my last 10 years, um, I finally figured it out. I just love that you mentioned serve the game because serve the game is um, one of Crown Ref's, you know, main phrases. That's our hashtag. Yeah, so, so it's, great. it's great. It's a great, uh, Paul, it's a great, uh, it really is a great line because that's what we do. That's what we do. It's, we're not coaches and players. We're not players. We're, we're refs. And are we a part of the game? Of course. But we serve the game. If the game gets out of whack, we have to, of course, we have to uh, discipline it. I get it. But you, you you serve the game, and it's a tremendous line. It really is. I think when you when you look at the game under that lens, things things stand out and become more more clear and apparent of, you know, what we have to do. Sometimes. Yeah, I think it's humility. Um, I think um, where I would go, where I got off center, uh, when I look back on my career, I think sometimes when you get when I got in trouble, it was pride. It was um, trying to be, you know, too big for my britches. I was too big for my britches. I was reading the uh, um, the, the headlines and instead of serving the game. And and uh, the humility f factor of this is huge. And uh, and that's why I talk to Foster about that a lot. Scott Foster about that a lot. Because when you're that guy that's working in the finals every year and, and if there's going to be a game seven, you're up for it. I, 
you you gotta you gotta stay humble. You really do. And um, I I I was able to do that at the end of my career. So it's 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 uh, I'm glad I figured it out. It only took me thirty years. <laughs> Better late than never. Better late than never, but never late is better. There you go. You mentioned just now with Scott, a, a guy who works the finals every year. From 1986 to 2006, Joey, you worked 20 straight NBA finals and an astonishing 29 out of 30. Oof. Those are going to be some tough numbers for anybody to duplicate. What, is, what does it mean to you to have an accomplishment like that on your resume? It's, it's, well, the, the, and here's the goof. The goof is, is that if I, wasn't, if I didn't screw up with the Duncan thing, it would have been from 86 all the way to 2016. Well, I know that, but I didn't want to highlight your asterisks in 07. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I, I own that. I own that. That, that is not, that's, I, I talk about that openly and honestly. Uh, as a ref, you have to. It's, it's on the, am I proud of that? Of course. Of course I'm proud of it. Am I, the thing that bothers me the most is what, that I did it to myself. That, 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 that 2007, which I would have been in the finals, you know, when I got suspended, that, that was my, I, was my stupidity. And um, again, was I wasn't humble, and it got me uh, got me in trouble. But it, it um, am I proud of it? Yes. Um, I was again. I I've been a very very uh, lucky guy. I, I've worked I worked hard at this though. When I was coming up, I I I, I did work hard, but people liked me. Oh, they 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 liked me. Uh, the the people in charge. Did I get in trouble? And did uh, did uh, I do certain things on the court that people got angry at? Yes, but but the people that were my employers knew that I loved the NBA and that I loved officiating. And um, I wasn't going out there on purpose to embarrass the NBA. I, I wanted to. I wanted our officials and. Uh, to to perform at a high level every night. Take me through the golden era of the NBA, the 80s, the 90s, with all those all-time Lakers and Celtics teams with, of course, Magic and Bird, and then eventually to the Bulls with Michael Jordan taking over the league. You know, here's the goof about that. I was there every every year, every playoffs, everything. And when I look back on it, I remember very little. Mm. And uh, buddy and mine were talking about this last week. And I told him that I was so engrossed in trying to get plays right. And uh, that I don't remember games. I remember game sevens in the finals. Course, but I don't remember games. I remember certain things that happened, but I don't remember that golden year. I don't remember being enthralled with Michael Jordan and Bird and Magic and 
Kareem. Did you respect those guys? Of course. But working or going into those types of games, it was never on my mind that those guys were playing. It was always on my mind that my crew and I had to perform and had to get plays right. I didn't, I never, I never thought of all the other stuff. I, 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 it just never entered my head. I, 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 I don't, I guess that's good. I don't know. I, I, but again, when I look back, I go, I said, I don't even remember. I I think it's a great answer because I actually think it's a testament to how locked in you were. Well, I, I I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know whether it's good or bad. It was just, when I look back at it, I go, Christ, I don't even remember that. Or, or, or the, I had the game at the garden when Reggie Miller, you know, get with the Knicks when he scored, what do you, what do you score? 15 or 13 or whatever the hell he scored in a couple minutes. Yeah. I didn't, I don't even, I didn't even remember that I had the game. Wow. And, 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 and all I remember is, is that now when I see the tape, because it's on all the time, I go, oh my God, should I have had a fat there? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even look at the, the wonderful thing that the player did, sure. you know, or, or I, I never, I never looked at that. When I walked in the locker room, I never said, well, somebody had 50 or somebody had 60. I was too engrossed in, hey, did we do something in the last two minutes there (laughs) that that screwed that game up? You know what I mean? And and, and that, that, I I guess it was good. I I, I don't know. I just just was so um, infatuated, I guess, or, or... with officiating that, that, that I, I wasn't worried about the players or the coaches or whatever. I just, I just didn't want our crew to screw up. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of officials, I think sometimes they're always, they're always, we're always talking in game with what the other teams are doing, which schemes they're running, which defenses they're playing, which players to look out for. And then I just, you know, I hear your answer and it just seems like you were locked in. You weren't worried about any of that. You know, where should we draw a line between kind of having that game awareness, knowing what teams are doing, but still just getting the calls right? Another great question. I, I, um, I think there's a balance. Don't get me wrong here. I mean, when you walk in, you know, your morning meeting, uh, you're talking about matchups. You're in, you're in the locker room before you go out, you're talking about matchups. You have to, at the pro level, you have to know what's, what's going to, you know, the, 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 the personalities. And now today it's <clears throat> everybody shooting threes and it's layups. But, you know, back in the day when it was, when people were beating the hell out of one another, you had to know who the people were that were going to beat the hell out of one another so you could ref them. But I think there's that balance. I think there's the wonderful thing about refereeing in the NBA is is that the 65 referees have to just work that system, the system that we have. And if you work that system, like I said, we were, uh, Brian Forte and I were watching tape this morning for about an hour and you can, we were talking about the system and what player you were looking at 
at the trail, at the lead, at the slot. And, and if you do that on a constant basis, you don't have to worry about all the peripheral stuff. You're going to get the plays right. That's, that's the, why it's so good to, to referee in the NBA. Cause that's, you're only that 65 people. You get that system down. This is what you're looking at at the lead. This is what you're looking at at the slot. This is what you're looking at at the trail on these particular possessions. And if you get to that spot and you're looking at the, at, at the proper player, our guys are, our people are so talented that they're going to get plays correct. So that's, that's, that's the key in my opinion. You, of course, there's that happy uh, happy medium that you got to be able to get know the personalities that are playing. You got to know who the three shooters are, even though in our game today everybody's shooting them. But but you have to know that stuff. Hundred percent. I know you've um, inspired, helped, mentored, coached so many officials over the span of your career. Who are some of the younger officials that you are proud to have had a positive impact on? You know. I- I, I'm in a, a a referee degenerate, and uh, some people think that it's, you know, it, it, the guys from Philly that came out of here. Listen, I've watched. They think of you know it's the political thing, or somebody from Philly, Joe Crawford, saw them. Listen, I've watched a thousand referees from Philly, uh, maybe more than that, and would never recommend somebody to the NBA if they weren't capable, in my opinion, to ref in the NBA. And the, the, and there are so many talented referees today because, because of, of, of this, us being able to do this podcast. hundred percent. And you go, I mean, this is, this is fabulous. Us being able to talk like this. I wish I was able to do this back in the day where I could listen to Joe Gushu or listen to Jake O'Donnell. And, and talk about officiating. But our younger referees, you know, now that I'm involved in the, in the league and I have a, a, a job with the league, I get to see this firsthand. We have talented, talented people that are young referees, not only on the NBA staff, but in our G League and in our pipeline that are trying to get in. It is, it is really, really awesome to be able to see that. And, and to be able to be involved in that and to be at this age, at 68, to be able to have that passion, to be able to help these referees, it's, it's, it's really, really fabulous. It really is. Thanks for asking that question because that's, that, um, I, I did want to talk about that because I, 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 I've always been accused of, of um, the Philly guys of uh, Duke Callahan, uh, Mark Wunderlich, and these people can ref, man. Duke Callahan was a finals ref. Mark Wunderlich is a finals ref. When I see these guys working um, on the on the playgrounds, I'm not gonna, I've seen a thousand people work on the playgrounds. I'm not going to recommend somebody to the NBA if they, if they can't ref. I mean, that's craziness. I would never I would never put put my reputation on the line. For, for something like that. I've told referees, they've asked me, Joe, am I an NBA ref? And I said, no, in my opinion, you're not. And and that doesn't make you a bad ref. That just don't mean that I don't think you're good enough to work in the NBA. 
But so our, our, we've had, we've just, you know, really, really been fortunate that there's been referees from this area that are good refs. There may be because we sit and we watch tape with one another. Maybe that's what it is. You know what I mean? There are certain things. I mean, you just don't become a good referee by just walking out on a, on a playground. You know I mean, you're putting time in. You're talking like this. This. They're talking about officiating. You know, now you can sit and sit in, um, in my den and put put five games up on the TV, a big screen, and and talk about refereeing for three hours. So it's 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 just it's tremendous. And officiating has really gotten better because of it. Talking about officiating on the Crown Rest podcast. Serve the game, Mr. Crawford. That thank you very much. Awesome. Great game. Well, that's a tremendous line. Serve the game. I'm gonna have you do it. Uh I'm gonna have you recite it and you could do the intro. We'll talk about that at the end. But um <laughs> <laughs> Serve the game, Crown Rest. Awesome. Got it, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna trademark that though, so I'll start charging people to, to say it eventually. That's awesome. So if you could tell, uh, you know, we're talking about younger officials. If you could tell any young official a couple of key factors that led to your success and longevity, what would you attribute it to? The love of this. Uh, the, uh, a lot of referees have told me they, you know. I take it too seriously or, or uh, it's a life and death type of thing. I did approach it like that. And uh, maybe it's not life and death, but I think you have to be uh, really passionate about this and not just look at it as a moneymaker. I get it at the beginning, you know, when you're trying to make an extra couple bucks, I get that. But once you get that bug and you're, you're trying to move up and you got to take the, put the money on the side and try to be a good partner and somebody that's, uh, again, wants to get plays right, but you, you want to improve. I think that's the key. You want to be able to improve. You got to find that, that person or persons that are going to help you improve, which is hard. It really is hard. But uh, if I was going to tell somebody that's coming up and, and uh, really likes this, I'd find somebody that's going to help you improve. But at the same and the same breath, uh, be very honest with you and say, you know, this is what you do right. This is what you do wrong. Because a lot of times, sometimes uh, we try to placate people. We try to. Uh, we don't tell them the truth because we don't want to hurt them. But I think in officiating, you have to tell them the truth. Uh, if somebody's heavy, tell them they're heavy. I know it's not politically correct, but I think honesty is the best policy with this. And uh, I think if you can find that person that can that can mentor you um, and and make you better as a ref, make you better. Because a lot of people think they can teach, but they can't. Uh, um, it's it's a it's an art to do this. Crown roughs. You art to be able to 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 teach officiating. Crown roughs. Or again, persons. And uh, uh, if you can find that person, serve the game. Serve the game. You're a lucky ref. You know, I just put out a video with with um, 
Scott Foster that I had you featured in it, and the title was Find Mentors um, Who Could Be Difference Makers. Now, you know, just like everything, you have to love it. So we should be looking to find mentors that love developing and teaching. I totally agree. It's a, it's a great line by you. It, it uh, uh, and because some people, they just get engrossed with their own lives and uh, they're not worrying about um, helping the other person. And then me at this juncture of my life, this is awesome. And Monty McCutcheon allows me to do it. And uh, just being able to have a conversation with Scott Foster. Serve the game. And have a conversation with Eric Lewis. And have a conversation with Tyler Ford and make them better is fabulous to me today. I, 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 I can't ref anymore. I can't run. I can't, I can't do what I did 10 years ago. But at least I, I can offer what's in my head. And um, that's what I have now. I only have that to offer. I, 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 and it's there. And I'm, I'm giving it. I'm giving everything that I have to, to the league and to, to, to referee. And um, I don't know anything else. I don't golf. I don't fix things. I don't, I, I don't, I, I, I really don't. I, I, you know, my wife gets angry at me. She says, Joe, that this is broken. I said, call somebody. I don't know. I don't, I don't, <laughs> what I do, I outsource it. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I just, I don't do it. But so being, being able to talk officiating to me, like we're doing now is it's heaven to me. I know you mentioned earlier in our conversation when you, when you were in your twenties, you were totally consumed by officiating all these years later. Has anything changed? No, no, <laughs> <laughs> no well, not really. <laughs> I wish I could say that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking for a, yeah, I want to get on a boat and go uh, you know, fish or something. But, I... <laughs> yeah, but Joey, you can't accomplish the things that you want to do by taking all these fishing trips and uh, doing other, other things, you know. <laughs> so one of the decisions I had a hard time with when I was first trying out for college was whether to pursue the men's or women's route. Ultimately, I chose the men's side because that's what motivated me most and, you know, that's what made me happy. But another career decision that some officials struggle with is choosing whether to pursue the college basketball or the NBA route. To an official who's on the fence about it, what advice would you give them? I think I, I think um, you have to – you have to be able to, again, be honest with yourself. If you are not that person who's, again, consumed by this or know what this entails, being an NBA referee or pursuing, there's the key, pursuing this and you better just, just go college, go college. Uh, because then there's nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with that. I mean, I enjoy talking with the NCAA guys. There's nothing wrong with that. They're really good refs. the the pro The pro route is hard. It's it's what eight months. It's 
every day you're doing something, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. And, and there are ups, downs, ins, outs, even when, when you make the NBA, even when you make it, you're now trying to get one rung at a time. Now I want to, instead of me being the umpire, I want to be the ref. Then I want to be the crew chief. Then I want to get to the first round. Then I want to get to the second round. Then I want to get to the third round. Then I want to get to the finals. Then I want to be the crew chief in the finals. Then I want to be the crew chief in the, in the seventh game. All those things there are these, these disappointments and these things that you're trying to uh, pursue as a as a, an NBA referee, you better be equipped to handle the ups and downs of it. And it's not, you know, it's it's not for everybody. It really isn't. But that doesn't make you a bad ref. I tell people that all the time. So just because you didn't make it to a certain level doesn't make you a bad ref. Plus the difficulty of pursuing the NBA when there's what sixty-five jobs available in the country. Bingo. Bingo. You have sixty-five jobs, and then what do you have? Another sixty-five in the in the G. Right. So you got right. you, have, you know. So you have a hundred and thirty people, and and come on, it's it's harder to make it as a ref in the NBA as it is to be a player. There's, so it's it's harder to get in the NBA. As it's hard to get here. And, and, and only the best get here. They really, we have a tremendous staff, a tremendous staff, talented, talented people, talented. But that doesn't mean that they're, that the NCAA guys aren't talented. Nobody's ever said that. We've never said that. Crown Refs Podcast is brought to you by Neat Tucks, the best way to keep your shirt or uniform tucked. If you're looking for that clean, professional look on the court, there's only one way to do it. Log on to NeatTucks.com and order yours today. Neat Tucks and Crown Refs, serving the game. Joey, what were some of your best responses for coaches who constantly complained and questioned your calls? I, You know... Um... Later in my career, and then as as tape evolved, as tape evolved really helped you, is that, and then again, later in my career, when talking to the the sports psychologist, because I dealt with, I, I was not real good at this earlier in my career, is that just telling the coach, you could be right, the tape doesn't lie. Can I stop you there? Sure. You mentioned to a coach that tape doesn't lie. Yeah, I, I, I've said the tape doesn't lie, and I could I could be wrong. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha. Yeah. So so you, there's I struggled with doing that earlier in my career because the tape didn't exist, and you would you would but as and there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, I screwed up. You just can't do it all the time reason why I asked about the tape line is because you're using it to say, oh, I could have made a mistake. Tape doesn't lie. You wouldn't be telling a coach tape doesn't lie. I got it. You know, I got it right kind of thing. No, 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 no. No, because a lot of times you didn't get it right. Right. And if you can stay humble and you can have those conversations with coaches, 
they're not going to be, they're not going to clap for you. They're not going to clap for you, but at least you may have been able to disarm them a little bit. They're not going to buy you, buy what you do. That isn't, that isn't how this game evolves it, it, with referee, um, uh, coach or player uh, relationships. They're not, they're, they're not clapping for you. So you better find a way. You better find a way to be able to get through those 48 minutes or 40 minutes without being a politician, without burying your partners. You've got to find that. That's part of what we do, of, of being able to exist on the court without ex- arrogance. And you've got to be able to talk to people. You've got to be able to have some conversation. You've got to be able to look a coach or a player in the eye and be able to say, and for, for them to have confidence in you. Um, Allen Iverson was uh, in Philly and he was difficult to ref. He was difficult to ref because the guy took, was, was a warrior. He was on the ground all the time. So he took the ball to the basket and he would get hit and, and, or we'd lay off plays and he was hard to ref and it was difficult. And he walked up to me and he was, I had Philly a few times and would hit him with a T or whatever. Finally, I said to him, I said, Alan, do you know anything about NBA refs? And he said, no. Nothing. He said, this is what we do for a living. We're going to be here as long as you're here. Longer. Yeah. And we have to find a way to coexist. And that's what has to happen. You have to learn at our level how to coexist. Are you going to have ejections? Are you going to have some problems? Of course. Of course. But you've got to be able to go out there on that court and do that job with confidence, but also run the game. Run the game. And, and, and those players and coaches will have confidence in you if you run the game. Now, in order to run the game, you better know the rules. You better get along with your partners. You, they, players and coaches understand good teammates. They understand. A coach comes up or a player comes up. We've all had this. Your partner this, your partner did this, your partner did that. I, I get that question all the time. What do, you, what do you say, Joe, when they start talking about your partner? I got one. Yeah. Go ahead. Want to hear it? Absolutely. With all due respect, I would never talk to you about your teammates. There you go. Please have the same respect for my, for my teammates. There you go. I was going to say the exact same thing. I had to steal it from you. No, 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 no. That's, 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 that's awesome. Because players and coaches understand that. They understand good teammates. And the more, uh, the more we, the refs, understand it and aren't out there selfishly motivated to get through their 40 minutes or their 48 minutes at the expense of their partners, the better off we're going to be. So I have um, two questions from the Crown Refs audience. Arash Rafi from Canada says, have you ever had any issues or conflict on the court internally with your crew, and how'd you deal with it? Great question. Thanks, Arash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Arash. Um, 
yes, you could go up maybe at the, say, at the end of the game. And you want to be, as the crew chief, you may want to be on that last second shot. And say it's a two-point game, last possession of the game, timeout, they're going to advance the ball. And you, and you come together and you say to your partners, listen, I'm going to take this last second shot. Um, Joe, you go to the slot. Bill, you go to the lead. And Joe, you get – Bill says – Joe, I, I was there during the time, man. I want to be at the trail. I don't want to talk about it now. We'll talk about it in a lot. Those types of things happened a lot. And what you would do is you would go into the locker room and try to explain to referee Bill that I wanted to take the heat. I didn't want you to take the heat. I want the last second shot. If anything goes wrong, the heat comes on me instead of you. And there's, that's being a good partner. And most referees will understand that. They really do. Once it's explained to them. But if you say, I got it. Nah. I'm better than you. Uh-uh. You're not better. You're not. All you're trying to do is get across to them that I'm a good partner. I'll take the heat. I'd rather keep you out of the kitchen. And it's, that's, I hope that's a good example. It's the one, the first one that came to my head. Sure, sure. Are there any other, any other times where you, you know, in the middle of a game, you and another partner just not seeing eye to eye? Did you? Oh, yeah. Of- oh, yeah. That, that there was, say, a, Double whistles. Um, you're, you're looking at your partner's eyes, and they're out. They're at the lead, and they're looking out at the ball, the trail, and uh, during the timeout, you know, just you know, saunter on up to the ref and say, "Hey, make it do me a favor. We got to watch ourselves here. We have four eyes on the ball." Trust me, I'll trust you. And you only have to do it like that. You don't have to do it in a condescending manner. You just just bring it to their attention. Most referees do respond to it. They really do. And I would want a referee doing it to me. Hey, Joe, could you do me a favor? we got four eyes on the ball. You're, you're at the lead and you're not trusting me. No problem. Thank you for telling me. But, you know. Yep. I don't think that's a big deal. I think that's that's something that you can rectify right at a timeout. Alex Bartman from Wisconsin says, what's the best advice you could have given a young Joey Crawford? <laughs> oh, my God. That's 40-some years ago, being a young Joey Crawford. Is that a podcast in itself? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I probably would have been, uh, I I think I, I would have told myself 
to um, calm down, um, not attack players and coaches the way I uh, the way I did when in my younger years. Um, allow players and coaches to talk without attacking them. I guess that's probably, um, but I did it because I did it back then after I look back on my career. Of it, I did it because of, um, I was, I wasn't confident in myself and, uh, I, I attacked first because I didn't have any confidence in myself, to be honest with you. And, uh, I would have, I would have been a, I would have been a, a more mature referee. Well, that's a great uh, that's a great question. Thanks for listening. Please go share this with a fellow official. Make sure you subscribe, and it would also mean the world to me if you left a review on Apple Podcast. Have a great day. Joey Crawford Podcast Part 2 coming up next. Don't go anywhere.